0: Hi, this is Elia Fishman, and uh, welcome to this lecture, which will be on CTA and 3D of the neurovascular system. And you may ask, what am I doing uh, talking about the neurovascular system, which I usually don't speak about. But at my latest 3D meeting, uh, one of our speakers called in sick, and so I had to put something together and I thought I would share it with you. And uh, I'm going to cover some basic areas and just look at some of the applications in terms of neuroradiology, particularly focusing on CTA. Now I have done a lot of work on carotids and carotid imaging is indeed very interesting and it's becoming more interesting these days, particularly in the era of carotid stenting. And We do a lot of that at Hopkins. Now there's been a lot written about the carotid arteries and some of it is kind of interesting. Here's an article talking about carotid siphon calcifications, a strong predictors of existing medical disease, and the calcifications of the cavernous segment of the internal carotid artery are a consistent indicator of systemic disease and the third comment from that article being that correlation exists between diabetes, hypocholesterolemia, and hypertension in the occurrence of carotid calcifications observed in screening head CT. So. You can see that carotid disease that is indeed very important, and if you detect it, incidentally, it can have significant importance. It's interesting, many cardiologists have spoken to me about potentially doing coronary CTs and carotid CTs at the same time. That's quite a trick, it's a long area to cover. I guess we can do it, surely doing the cardiac first and then the carotid second, but it makes the point that carotid disease and coronary disease tend to go hand in hand. But let's stick with the carotids for a minute. If we're doing a carotid study, injection rates typically are in their 4 cc's per second range. Contrast volumes probably are on the low side, about 80 uh, cc's. We use Omni 350 unless the patient has uh, issues with carotid, and then we go into VisiPEG 320. Scan delays can be variable, and the reason I have this scan delay variable is It depends what you're looking for if you're looking at a neuroCTA. So, for example, if you're looking at carotids only, where you don't want venous contamination, you're in the 15 to 18 second delay range. If you're doing a head and neck tumor and you want to see both artery and veins, then you're probably closer to 50 or 60 seconds. In terms of single versus dual phase acquisition, in most applications, we're doing single phase acquisition. And, of course, antecubital is the site of injection. In terms of protocols, we'll always use the thin sections, and I've shown you here two sets of protocols, one on 16 and the one on 64. Both really tend to be the same, 0.75 millimeter thick sections every 0.5 millimeters. and you can see from the bottom line that post-processing is critical, particularly volume rendering and maximum intensity projection. We will however use multiplanar reconstructions as well. Often the sagittal will work very nicely in this situation. Also curved planar reconstruction will be very valuable, particularly in patients with extensive calcification. Now I've mentioned before about protocols, and so what I recommend in your scanner is to have a protocol such as this one for the carotid arteries. We have specifically the contrast given, the single phase acquisition, and the protocol. And again, that's just something I always like to emphasize. So let's look at some examples. If we look at this case, you can see very nicely. I've done some 3D mapping. You see both the arteries and veins. You see also very nicely the vertebral arteries. I wanted to make the point in this case that when you're looking at the carotids, you get a very good look for free at the vertebrals, whether vertebral arises off the subclavian, as in this case, or it comes directly off the aorta. You can get a very good look at it. You could do bone removal if you want to see it even better, of course. If you come forward a bit and you change the rendering, you can show very nicely the thyroid gland. In this case, because it was about a 60 second delay, we have a very good visualization of the jugular veins. And so again, let me rotate this a little bit for you. If you wanna see jugular veins as you typically do in tumors of the head and neck region, and you wanna see the carotids, you have a later delay. And you can see very nicely here showing both of them. Now, the thing to recognize, of course, is you can play around the data set. Look at the image on your left where I've kind of cut away the jugulars. So even when you have venous contamination, in most cases, it's not really an issue for me. I can typically pull the carotids out very nicely, whether it's through a cut plane or in more complicated cases, through a seed growing technique or just a routine editing technique will work very nicely. So we can do that indeed very well. Here's another example again showing you both carotid and vertebral visualizations. And again you can see here as well nicely showing you the siphon of the carotid on this sagittal view without doing a whole lot of editing or post-processing. So it's a very nice technique. Similarly, when you look at those vertebrals you can see that by rotating the data set I really can bring the vertebral artery into good visualization. But again, bone segmentation and removal will make life a whole lot easier. Make that a whole lot easier. Uh, you can see here, as I go through a few more renderings in another example, just the importance of cutting things away, rotating the data sets, doing the entire visualization and planes and perspective indeed is very, very helpful. You recognize, of course, things we've showed you before the ability to look from skin down to muscle, down to vessel, something that's fairly easy to do. And again, recognizing that you really will need to do uh, many of these manipulations, particularly if you want to isolate the carotid in a case like this. Now, I will say, as you look at these images, and I am showing you a number from the same case, just to give you a feel of the various projections, but I would say that it's important to recognize that the carotids, if done with the correct timing, really do not need all of this editing. It's also important to recognize that in head and neck imaging, where most work is done in the axial plane, you can see from these examples that coronal 3D maps are indeed very helpful. And again, you can see another example showing you going from uh, the patient's skin and face, accentuation of the muscles of the face, Accentuation of the bony structures and then accentuation of the vascular structures is indeed possible. Now if you want to see the carotids alone, that's where I'll specifically go to uh, the better timing. So there's several ways of doing it. One is you can do a delay of about 17 to 18 seconds. That works pretty well. Another is triggering, triggering off the aortic arch at about 150 to 170 Hounsfield units in a 64-slice scanner. But you can see when you trigger correctly, you really do get the carotids nicely isolated. And when you have the carotids this well isolated, it's a whole lot easier to analyze them. It's a whole lot easier to be able to quickly do a vessel stenosis analysis. So for example, this case, Perfect timing, look how nicely we see the carotids and the carotids only but not the jugulars and so the 3D map nicely shows you the ulceration in the internal carotid and the uh, extensive plaque at the level of the carotid bifurcation. And we can see whether you look at volume rendering or MIP, you really can get that visualization very nicely. Now you can see in this case carotids and coronaries have lots and similar. One is calcification. And the same issues will arise. So you need to be very, very careful. You need to do editing. You can see occlusion of vessels, in this case, the occlusion of the external carotid. You also can see extensive narrowing of the internal carotid. And again, one of the things we can do besides using volume rendering and besides using MIP is to basically pull the vessels out and this is just a very nice example where I've segmented the vessels out this will be something that'll be a very nice application of dual source imaging but it works very nicely as well another example uh... same case just showing you very nicely that extensive carotid stenosis of greater than ninety percent here's another nice case take a look at this example look at the left common carotid as it becomes the left internal and external carotid you can see very nicely the area of stenosis, the calcification. And what you do is you rotate the images around so you're really certain that you're looking at the maximum stenosis, you're not overcalling, and you're not undercalling. Calcification is an issue on MIP, less of an issue on volume rendering, but again, you need to be very careful that you don't overcall the degree of stenosis present. Uh, again, um, we like to do the rendering. You can see here how nicely it is done. When timing is correct, there's no venous contamination and it indeed works very nicely in that regard. Here's another example. Uh, Look at this case. The internal carotid artery is occluded at its origin. Uh, You can see, you want to be careful of course that you're not making the mistake of overcalling. Perhaps when you did the editing you missed or cut out some of the information. You need to be very very careful of that of course. Uh, That's not the situation in this case. And again, interactivity is very very important. We like to do interactive rendering specifically for carotid imaging as well. Other applications in the carotid include trauma. Look at the patient's uh, right carotid. You see the vessel's patent, but look at that uh, contrast that's interior to it. And let me show it to you a little bit better. You can see this patient has contrast extravasation from the carotid artery on the right side. This patient is status post a gunshot wound. There's active extravasation. We could look at this in multiple perspectives. You can see the injury of the carotid. Just a beautiful example. And this is truly where you really want to be in the pure arterial phase, getting the carotids only. So just a very nice example in that regard. Now, if you want to look at muscle and soft tissue, and you want to look at neck masses, again, comments I made before. Changing the volume rendering, changing the reconstruction algorithm, You can go from skin down to muscle. You can see some mandibular nodes. You can see all the vascular map in the neck. We can go from there to change it to just focus on the bone. And we can focus on the bone and then bring back the vessels. So you can see that it's very, very easy for us to look at things from a range of perspectives, a range of visualizations, again, you need to figure out specifically what it is you want to look at. It's not just in trauma or tumors. Here's a patient with takayashus aortitis. You can see in this example, uh, the patient had involvement of the mesenteric and renal arteries, but also involvement of the carotid arteries. And again, carotid involvement is very common in takayashus. And if I show you a few more images, you can see the carotids being narrowed there. And here's that patient's involvement of the uh, renal arteries as well. Another example of a really unusual case is this example. Look at the carotids. Look how ectatic they are. This is an example of Lois Dietz, which is a, a vascular anomaly situation described by Hal Dietz. It's very much similar in some ways to Marfan's, but you get this carotid ectasia, you get ectasia of multiple vessels, you also get multiple aneurysms, and you can see in this example, even looking at the base of the skull, just really beautiful visualization. So again, um, we can see a range of different pathologies. Now, Let me just touch a little bit on neck masses. Uh, John Lewin from Hopkins gives lots of talk on this, and uh, I don't want to steal his thunder. So let me just comment that when I'm looking at neck masses, I try to go more in the venous phase, as I mentioned, so you get really good opacification of carotids and the jugular system. There's really no issue then in terms of visualization. And so same process going from skin to muscle to vessels and really targeting down the vessels and as we go from vessels I'm just going to run through the data sets you can see how we go from vessel to soft tissue very nicely you also can see in this example the pediatric patient we can do children mass left supracavicular zone and we can see this mass in a range of perspectives and this is just a very nice example of a cavernous hemangioma not an uncommon tumor in a pediatric patient, but very nicely visualized on the 3D renderings. And this final example just showing you some of the vascular map, as well as the ability to bring into play whether it's bone or soft tissue. Now you could look at that very nicely on a range of different images, and a range of different graphs, as you can see here very nicely. So it's a very important area to look into. Now, in showing this skull, it makes me think about another area of involvement, and that would be in the skeletal area of cranial facial imaging, and for that, let's take a break and come right back.